symbols can convey some pretty powerful truths. Sometimes somebody's words and actions can become so intertwined with that symbol that the individual represents what that symbol represents, or even more so. In the 20th century, perhaps nobody illustrated that better than Adolf Hitler. The German Nazi party came into existence around 1920, and they chose the swastika as their symbol. It was basically their logo. The swastika has been used across religions and cultures to convey a range of ideas for thousands of years. It was not new to the Nazis, but they used it to represent what they saw as the racial purity of the German people. It became a symbol of national and cultural pride for many of the Germans, especially the Nazis. Soon, German soldiers were goose-stepping past swastika emblazoned banners while ordinary citizens chanted their allegiance to German Fuhrer and Nazi party leader Adolf Hitler. It was a very dark time. To the rest of the world, the swastika became a symbol of hatred, state-sponsored genocide, especially following the defeat of Germany in World War II and as they uncovered more atrocities that the Nazis wreaked on the world. Most citizens in the Western part of the world recoil at the sight of a swastika. Its display is even banned in present-day Germany, where it used to be proudly displayed. Hitler himself had come to serve as a stand-in for the swastika and for the evils of Nazi Germany. Anything that even hints toward the swastika or Adolf Hitler just creates all kind of hatred and vitriol and hurt. In fact, if you were to do a search right now for teapot Hitler, you'll probably find that I think J.C. Penney, a while ago, had made a teapot and somebody thought it had the resemblance of Adolf Hitler. And there was a huge uproar in California that they tried to get the billboard taken down that had that teapot. It's a teapot. But just because it resembled Hitler, they were upset and up in arms because of how cruel and how wicked Hitler himself was. In the U.S., if you want to disparage somebody, a political opponent, sometimes you do that by labeling them Hitler. And people know what that means. Distaste for Hitler even transformed American fashion in the 1930s. Many men, including the popular comedian Charlie Chaplin, sported what was commonly called a toothbrush mustache. Well, Hitler wore his facial hair in that way as well, and eventually that toothbrush mustache became so associated with Hitler that most American men shaved completely clean. Nobody wanted to even resemble Hitler. Well, symbols also play a role in Christianity. The most familiar symbol associated with Christianity, of course, is the cross. But even the term Christian is a symbol of sorts. It's not the first label that the people who follow Jesus were called. They were first called people of the way. But then according to Acts chapter 11, Luke noted that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. When their friends, their neighbors, their associates saw some striking similarities between the lifestyles of the first believers and Jesus himself, society said, those people there, they're Christians, they're Christ-like. Modern Christians frequently display the cross in their homes or churches or on a bumper sticker or on a, a shirt. But our witness is much more powerful, much more effective when we embody Jesus, not only in what we wear or what we stick on the bumper of the car, but in our actions, our attitude, our spirit. In that way, we bear witness of Jesus. We announce he is the king and he's coming and his kingdom is coming, just like John the Baptist did in the first century. We become living symbols of Jesus's power and authority his light to shine through us in a dark world so the glory of God can be seen. And we're going to hear a lot more about that glorious glory of God right after this.
Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and I apologize for my voice. It was 82 degrees on Tuesday and 38 on Wednesday. 44-degree drop in a day, and so pretty much everybody here in the St. Louis area is dealing with all of that. But it's so good to have you back on the God's Word for Life podcast and Great news. We were in spring quarter of God's Word for Life, and hopefully spring will spring soon, and we can bid these 38-degree days farewell. Well, you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. Again, I'm your host, L.J. Harry, and today's episode is entitled The Word Made Flesh, and it's part of a brand new series on the book of John, the Gospel according to John. The Word Made Flesh comes from John 1, verse 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you've ever heard that before, you're probably very familiar with it. But let us never lose the awe and wonder of that wondrous statement, that the Word, the very plan, the very thought of God, that God Himself came in human flesh. What amazing grace. If that passage sounded familiar, it should. It's found in John 1, but it has a sister passage in Genesis 1. All the way back in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Apostle John would have been very well acquainted with that opening line from Genesis, and so he echoed its refrain when he began his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he added in John 1 verse 3, all things were made by him, and here we go back to creation, without him was not anything made that was made. The writer of Hebrews lifted his voice and they sing together in a a beautiful trio. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. There's the creation motif. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who spoke the universe into existence at the beginning of time, has shared with us his message of grace and truth through the person of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Now, much has been written about that word, word. In the Greek language, it is logos, It's a Greek term John used that most English translations just simply render as word. In his book, The Oneness of God, David K. Bernard noted, In Greek usage, logos can mean the expression or plan as it exists in the mind of the proclaimer, as a play in the mind of a playwright. Or it can mean the thought as uttered or otherwise physically expressed, as a play that is enacted on stage. Now, before God created the world and everything in it, including us, humanity, he knew He knew we would eventually fall into sin. He knew Adam and Eve would push their grocery cart into the forbidden fruit aisle and they would fill it up with forbidden fruit. He knew we would sin. He knew we would need a Savior. That's why 
He had a plan to redeem us through Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. That plan was from the foundation of the world. God knew, and so he was already running to save us, even before we sinned. What amazing grace. And then when he came, Jesus lived out that plan by dying on a cross for our sins, rising from the dead. He secured our deliverance, our salvation. This logos, this plan of God was in the mind from the beginning. John would later write in Revelation 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John made it clear that the Logos was not different from God, not separate from God, but the Logos was God, the same God. Genesis credits with creating the heaven and the earth. All things were made by him. Without him, it's not anything made that was made. You look around and find anything created, and you'll find his fingerprints on it or his DNA in it. God created it all. And when God spoke in Genesis, life sprang into existence. Likewise, the New Testament portrays Jesus, the Word, as the creator and the giver of life. Jesus said these words, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. John 6, verse 63. Jesus' words brought physical healing on many occasions. He healed a nobleman's son with just a spoken word. He simply said, be healed. And he was. The Word gives life. Jesus' words brought the dead to life, as dramatically illustrated in John 11, verse 43, when the Lord stood outside a tomb and commanded his recently deceased friend, who had been dead for four days, mind you. And he simply said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. When Jesus spoke, the natural process of decay was miraculously arrested and then reversed. And in an instant, Lazarus walked out of the grave. Here's a question. In what ways do Jesus' words bring life besides physical healing? And if you've ever been in a service before and you were discouraged or maybe even close to despair, but you heard the word of God preached and it lifted your faith and it brought life and gave you hope where there was no hope, in that way and in many other ways, his word brings life. He's also referred to as light. We have to have light for life. Not surprisingly, then, God's first recorded words are, Let there be light. Genesis 1 verse 3. Light shone on the previously dark and formless mass of the world and set the stage for everything God planned to do next. Certainly the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us and his plan of redemption. But what's beautiful, too, is the Bible is not in conflict with science. Don't ever let anybody tell you that it is faith or science. It's not. The God who created the world This is the God who created science. There's a Nobel Prize winner named Steven Weinberg, a physicist, and he wrote this. In the beginning, there was an explosion, which occurred simultaneously everywhere, filling all space from the beginning, with every particle of matter rushing apart from every other particle. Within the tiniest split second, the temperature hit 100,000 million degrees centigrade. That's a little hotter than a summer in South Florida. This is much hotter than in the center of even the hottest star. The matter rushing apart consisted of such elementary particles. Interestingly, there were also photons. The universe was filled with light. That sounds a whole lot like, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and instantly the universe was filled with light. Science and the Bible do not contradict. In fact, science is catching up 
with the Bible, with all of their dis- their discoveries and their experiments. So don't let anybody tell you it's science or faith. It's not. <laughs> the God who created the world is the God in whom we have all of our faith. John revealed Jesus, the word is the life and the light, the same God who spoke light, said later, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light radiating from Jesus Christ shined into the darkened corners of the world, including the darkness of the human heart. And if you've ever been inside the human heart, it's mighty dark in there. Jeremiah said it's so deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My dear friend, Pastor Jason Huckabee, once said, if my heart was a neighbor, my mom would not let me go outside and play with it. My heart is deceitful. It's dark, and yet the light of the Word of God and God himself shines into our heart. Jesus illuminated spiritual truths that previously had been hidden, and yet he shone light on them. John taught us that nobody can escape the true light because it lights every man that comes into the world. Every person must stand before God and give an account of his or her response to light, to truth. So as born-again believers, our mission is the same as that of John the Baptist. We bear witness of the light. We testify about the light that all men through him might believe. Like John, we're not that light. We're not God. But we have been sent to bear witness of that light. We've been sent to point people to Jesus. Satan is, is working overtime and employing more and more to try to help him blind people's minds. But the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, is shining into our world. When we tell others about Jesus and what he has done, light comes pouring into their hearts and minds, making it possible for spiritual life to grow in what previously had just been a dark void of an empty soul. When we speak Jesus, we speak light and life. Praise God. Here's a question. Who have spoken life to you? And how can you speak life to others? The Apostle John was immeasurably blessed. He was privileged to witness the glory of God in ways very few others have seen. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that John was one of only three disciples, Peter and John's brother James being the others, who were invited to ascend the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And there on that mountain, John looked as Jesus' face shone like the sun. His raiment was white as the light. Luke recorded in Luke 9, they saw his glory. Wow, what an experience. And then years later, while exiled on the Isle of Patmos, a prison island, when you think of Patmos, think more Alcatraz. Don't think vacation. Think think prison. John saw a vision of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God as a bride adorned for her husband. And among all the details, he recorded He said the city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. John had seen God's glory shine through Jesus Christ on a mountaintop, and now that selfsame glory shone up an entire city. And we, we have been invited to witness God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 reads, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. What an amazing passage. Brings us to our third question. How is God's glory revealed in Jesus Christ in your life? Now, sadly, somehow, many of Jesus' contemporaries did not see his glory. Isaiah prophesied about him. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, 
There's no beauty that we should desire him. Many people only saw a carpenter's son from Nazareth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of Jesus. He delivers the Galilee Gazette. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. Good guy. Makes some amazing curio cabinets in his dad's carpenter shop. Messiah? Nah. They rejected Jesus' ministry. He's the Messiah. No, he can't be the Messiah. He's a carpenter. Eventually, the leaders of his very own nation conspired with Gentile rulers to crucify him. Even his closest followers temporarily forgot the glory they had seen on the mountain, and they ran from Jesus. In his hour of greatest need, they left him. They forsook him. Peter denied he ever met him. Looking back on those events, John wrote, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Creator stepped into creation, and the creation did not recognize who he was. Which is where we are today. Many in our world cannot see his glory. For Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this world, that's not the Lord, that's the devil, the one who tries to rule and reign in this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. The world here in 2 Corinthians 4 is not cosmos. It's not referring to the earth and this physical world. It's referring to the age or it's referring to this this value system of this world. Because we know according to Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and them that dwell therein. This world is the Lord's, belongs to him. But this whole concept and value system and all of that of this age, that's the devil has tried to reign and rule over that. One day he himself will have no power and Jesus will be all in all. But right now, the Lord is keeping him on a leash and he's supposedly ruling in this world. And he's blinding the minds of those who don't believe so they cannot see Jesus for who he really is. And since the world rejected Jesus, Jesus warned his followers, including us, that the world would reject them as well. How about you? Have you ever faced rejection for the sake of the gospel? And if so, how did you respond? Sure, most rejected Jesus, but a handful, comparatively, believed and received him. And those who received him, Jesus gave power to become the sons of God. That transformative power was and is given to those who believe on his name. Jesus later described that new birth experience as being born of water and of the Spirit. And John concluded his account of the life of Jesus Christ by explaining his purpose and writing all he wrote was that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. He's not just a good man, not just a carpenter, not just a prophet, not just a moral teacher. He is the God who came in flesh. He is the very Christ, the Messiah, the one who came from heaven. And we have the privilege to take on his name in baptism. And when we rise from those baptismal waters in the name of Jesus, we rise to walk in the newness of life. We are raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Life comes to us through the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ himself living within us. Thank God for this wonderful promise, wonderful hope. God has many children and new children are being born again into the family of God every day. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we become heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. We're adopted into the family of God. Prior to Jesus' birth and ministry, Israel's faith was defined by the law of Moses. And yet Israel failed to live up to the demands of that law. And even those who stringently adhered to the law, they so often missed the point of why it was given in the first place. But Jesus, the Word made flesh, came to fulfill the words of the law that pointed to him 
all along. Jesus said in John chapter 5 that search the scriptures, take your time, look through the scrolls, and when you do, you will find that they point to me. All the law could really do was shine the light on all of our darkness. But Jesus Christ revealed the grace of God. He dwelt among us. That word literally means he tabernacled. That God himself came and set up a tabernacle in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice of Jesus erased the need for those never-ending rituals that had been performed inside that Old Testament tent and temple. And God provided grace to countless multitudes who had not even been part of the covenants God had made with Israel. Gentiles like me and likely like you are now invited to be part of the family of God through being born again. With that great blessing comes a great responsibility to show others the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ through our lives. Even when others do not deserve grace, because that's why it's called grace, because we didn't deserve it either, we still share and show forth the grace of God. Paul wrote it like this, I've been mistreated, but being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. Being defamed, we entreat. And, and in so doing, we are looking like, living like, being like Jesus. Never more so than when we show grace to those who deserve it the least. But by his spirit, we become vessels of God's grace, conduits to a lost world, preparing the way for the glory of God to be revealed in their lives because it has been revealed in ours. Last question. How can you show God's grace in your present circumstances? And while you ruminate on that, let's wrap this up. Some ideas and concepts, they really can't be fully grasped unless we see them acted out in the real world. And, and sadly, when it comes to evil, we really don't want to see that acted out, but we just can't quite fathom how that works. We don't see it until we see it. We witness the horrors humans perpetrate on each other every day. This episode and the lesson that birthed it began with a summary of how Adolf Hitler became the very embodiment of evil in the modern world. But he's not the only one. Tyrants whose names have become synonymous with brutality, genocide, oppression, like Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot. And thankfully, there are also many individuals who embodied some noble values. If you hear the words equality, justice, or especially civil rights, then likely you'll think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Leaders like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, illustrated the concepts of sacrifice, loyalty, devotion, liberty to their countrymen. When I say Lincoln, likely you're thinking of a very tall man with a black suit and a stovetop hat. But you probably also think about emancipation, thanks to his commitment to freeing enslaved people during the American Civil War. In more recent times, the Roman Catholic nun, Mother Teresa, became an international symbol of charity due to her selfless devotion to the poorest residents of Calcutta, India, including those dealing with Hansen's disease or leprosy. Equality, liberty, freedom, charity, they look like what they look because we see those values lived out through people. And yes, sure, imperfectly, because we are imperfect, but thankfully, most of us know somebody personally who has shown us what love and kindness and compassion faithfulness look like in daily life. But when you examine closely, even those noteworthy personalities prove to be riddled with inconsistency and flaws, even in the Bible, which, according to skeptics, gives the Bible what they call a ring of authenticity because the Bible reveals its heroes' faults. Abraham, Moses, David, all of them, we have their faults on display God knew no human past or present could adequately represent his grace and truth, so he himself 
God himself, the Father himself, was manifest in flesh. He alone lived a perfect life. He was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. When we look to Jesus, we see the divine, beautiful nature of God perfectly demonstrated in human form. And that's why John could write, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And when Philip said, Okay, Jesus, please show us the Father, Jesus responded, I have. Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast you not known me, Philip? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Even on our best day, the best among us are still inconsistent and flawed. But when we find ourselves disappointed by others' failures, look to Jesus. He's the author, the finisher, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. He was there at the starting blocks. He'll be there at the finish line. He will lift us when we fall, strengthen us when we are weak, and give us power to become the sons of God through baptism in his name and the infilling and indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray right now that God would use us to speak life to others and show grace to others. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the incarnation, everything it represents, everything it means to us. Thank you for coming from the the safety of heaven to the dangers of earth. Thank you, Lord. Help us today to show life to others, speak life to others in our words and what we say, what we type, what we text. May we speak life to others. May we bless them. May we help them. May we encourage them. May we point them to you and help us to show grace to others that through our lives, life and grace can be given to the world around us. Use us for your glory today, Jesus. We pray, may we display the glory of God through our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Subscribe, follow, like, and then click the notify button on your phone if you've not yet done so, and then it'll notify you every time an episode drops of God's Word for Life and share it with others so they can be blessed by it as well. And if you're looking for an apostolic church who preaches and teaches this very beautiful, the Word was made flesh message, this gospel of Jesus Christ, then you visit upci.org and you can do a church search based on zip code or city. Or if you know of a pastor that you're looking for, you can find that there, upci.org. Just look for the church search. Also, head over to pentecostalpublishing.com and pick up a great suite of resources. All the God's Word for Life resources are there including Vamos, which is our Spanish version of MOVE, our children's church, and La Palabra de Dios para la Vida, God's Word for Life in Spanish for Adults. All of that is at PentecostalPublishing.com. Use promo code GWFL10, and you'll get 10% off your order except for curriculum. So the rest of it, Bibles, Bible studies, books, music, all of that is 10% off with a promo code GWFL10. It's a one-time use promo code. Once you've used it, can use it again. Next week, we continue the series in the book of John. We're in John chapter 4, and we're going to hear an episode entitled The Unseen Harvest. I'm going to give you a little clue. It's a story about the woman Jesus met at the well in Samaria, and I love this story. Fabulous story of the grace of God on full display. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, 
visit us today at pentecostalpublishing.com.